Good morning and welcome on this glorious Easter morning. It is so wonderful to have each of you here to worship our risen Lord and Savior. I invite you to stand for the call to worship, which is in your bulletin. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Is risen indeed. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Christ is risen indeed. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Thanks be to God. He gives victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.
Amen. That's why we are gathered here this day, because the Lord has conquered death. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of greeting, of peace with those who are here in worship this morning. What a great joy to come together and worship. Uh, In the earlier service this morning, we had a wonderful time. Uh, Ten people were baptized, and it was a glorious gathering of of God's people and celebrating His life in us. And we continue in that spirit of worship and celebration as we gather during this time together. I want to just uh, please note that there are many things happening in the life of the church this week. Uh, One thing I did want to mention, uh, please note that Wednesday evening, the children's clubs are not meeting, and tomorrow the church office will be closed uh, for the holiday, so please make note of that. Uh, next Sunday, we go back to our regular schedule of worship activities with services at 820, 940, and 11, and Sunday school during the 940 hour. As uh, There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, as always, and on this, on this very special day in the life of the church, universal, uh, we want to remember our brothers and sisters who... Uh, are in places of the world where they can't gather together like this, or at least not in this way, and uh, face persecution and opposition. And we want to pray for them and in their faith and in, in the body of Christ uh, throughout the world. I invite you to join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Join with me as we pray together in unison. Reigning King, at your cross, we find the beginning of each of our stories, sinners in need of God's grace. We confess that in our pride we neglect it, and in our judgment we withhold it. Forgive us, Lord, for the relationships where we focus on past sins instead of present redemption. Getting revenge instead of seeking forgiveness. For excluding rather than welcoming those who reflect your image. For worrying about gaining power rather than embracing humble sacrifice. By your strength, may we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view, but through the eyes of grace and redemption. Merciful Lord, forgive us for the walls we have built out of hate the boundaries we have created out of differences and the lines we have drawn out of fear and empower us to live as ambassadors of light in the darkness of this world. Amen.
morning's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. I want to invite you to stand with me this morning and join with me in affirming our Christian faith through the Apostles' Creed found on the inside front cover of your hymnal. Following the Apostles' Creed, we will receive our morning tithes and offerings, and I invite you to remain standing for the doxology as our ushers come forward. And following the doxology, children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church. The Apostles' Creed. Let us declare our Christian faith in the words of this historic affirmation. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, you have given us so many good gifts. The best gift of all is the gift of yourself. We thank you for your death to atone for our sins. And today we especially thank you and celebrate your resurrection that we might have life. Take these gifts now that we offer to you and use them for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
nothing to say. They just lost their dearest friend. All that he said, now he was dead. So this was the way it would end. Dreams that they dreamed were not what they'd seemed. Now that he was dead and gone, the guard and the jail, the hammer, the nail, how could a night be so long? Then came the morning, night turned into day, a stone was rolled away, all rose with the dawn. Then came the morning, shadows vanished before the sun. Death and loss and life had won, for morning had come. The angel, the star, the kings from afar.
We have the opportunity to uh, come to our living God and to offer our prayers. And it's been our practice for quite a while. If you'd like to uh, offer your prayers at the altar rail, I invite you to join me as we pray together. Great God of victory, we celebrate that morning when death brought to life, when the darkness of evil in this world was conquered once and for all. We celebrate today the glory and the grace and the power of your risen Son. Through him, we are free. Because he has risen, sin and death have no power to hold us in the grave or to defeat us in this life. Today we rejoice over who you are and over all that you've done. Father, we come today and ask that you would awaken us to the delights that we so often overlook in our routine of hurry and and haste and, and worry. Show us the simple beauty in ordinary places. Show us delight in the midst of serious business. Give us energy for change in the course of of the ruts of our regular routines. Show us the solid ground of your mercy and grace and power in the midst of a quaking and unstable world. Father, we pray for our world and Ask for your life-giving grace to be at work. Our world is so full of pain and heartache and loss. And today we pray that you will heal every person connected to us that needs your touch. We pray that you will comfort all who grieve. Protect those who live in fear. Encourage every person who is struggling with doubt and lift those who are in despair. We pray, Father, that you will bring peace to the places of violence and war in our world and that you will, you will help hearts to be filled with a spirit and a desire of forgiveness when hatred and revenge are so prominent. And Father, we ask that you will begin answering this prayer in us. We remember our brothers and sisters who do not have the freedom to worship on this glorious day as we do. Help them to know your grace and your presence with them. Help them to experience the joy of all that you have done in spite of the restrictions or the opposition that they may face. And fill them with the power of the risen Christ. And Lord, may their witness be an inspiration to us in our lives and our witness. Father, give us courage 
to enable us to leave behind like, like empty grave clothes all the cravings and manipulation and the yearnings in which this world has schooled us so well. Help us to step forth full of courage into a new day, a new season of growth and grace, a time of victory over every temptation that the evil one brings against us. Father, for all that's on our hearts today, every burden, every concern, every person, every circumstance and situation, everything in our lives and things connected to our lives, we lay them all at the feet of the risen Christ, trusting you, placing our hope in you, and receiving the joy that can come only from you. And we offer our prayer as we always do in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the risen Lord, the returning King, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which now we pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament scripture the reading this morning comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. And I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Luke 24, 1 through 12, hear the word of the Lord. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. 
Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. This is the word of the Lord. Grave, he 
This morning, something happened that changed my life. I thought I knew my brother, but I discovered this morning that he was not who I thought he was. Has that ever happened to you? You spend your whole life knowing something and then come to find out that what you knew to be true all along was not true at all. Maybe it's the words to a song. You spend your whole life singing them, and then one day you find out you've been singing the wrong words. It can be unsettling. But this, this is more than unsettling. This has turned my world around. You see, I found out this morning that my brother, my older brother, my big brother, was not crazy. He was, is, my hero again, just like he used to be. I grew up following my brother everywhere. I adored him. I wanted to be him. So it was painful when he began to change. He started saying strange things, making outrageous claims. He left home and began traveling around with strangers. He humiliated our family. We tried to stop him, to make him come home and stop stirring up trouble. But we couldn't control him. Finally, we gave up. It was so hard to lose my big brother. And I did lose him. It was as if he had died. I mourned as if he had died. And eventually, I got on with my life without a big brother. A week ago, when we came into Jerusalem for the Passover, I heard that he was in the city. I made it a point to avoid any place where he might be. But when I heard he'd been arrested, it was hard to pretend, even to myself, that I didn't care. Then came the shocking news that they were going to put him to death. Crucify him? I started walking out of the city in the opposite direction. I had to get away, as far away as possible. I couldn't care. I wouldn't. I walked blindly until I felt a chill breeze. I looked up and saw black clouds rolling in. The sky became dark, and I heard the distant roar of the crowd. I stopped and looked back. Suddenly, I knew I had to be there. I had to be with him at the end. I turned and ran back into the city, through the streets, terrified I would be too late. I got there in time. As I arrived at the top of the hill, I stumbled to a stop, shocked at the sight of my brother hanging on a cross. He was speaking to my mother and a man beside her. I pushed my way through the crowd to my mother's side just as Jesus raised his voice and cried out to God. Moments later, he was gone, and the reality of it all struck me. This was it. My brother was dead. This was the terrible end of our family tragedy. But this morning, everything changed. Unbelievably, miraculously, my brother, my big brother, came to see me 
Yes, he came to see me. He's not dead. He's alive. I don't understand how it could happen. But what I do know is that what I believed about him all those years is not true. He was not crazy when he spoke with authority or claimed to be the Messiah. It was all true. And not only that, this morning he gave me a mission to complete for him. He said he wanted me to be a leader of his church. Me, even though I didn't believe in him. This morning, my life has been changed forever. I want to run through the streets telling everyone I meet about my brother. He was dead, but now he is alive. And he's my hero again. He's my big brother. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that truth. And we ask that you will help us to understand more and more of that truth. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Have you ever had something happen to you that was so so unsuspected, so, so un, unreal, and, and so difficult to comprehend that, that you really couldn't believe it. I had one of those experiences about uh, a little over four years ago. If, if you're like me, you get uh, emails all the time that say, you know, you've won this, you've won that, uh, do this, do that kinds of things and you read these stories about people who reply to those or click the link and next thing you know people have stolen all of their stolen their identity and all their money. I get this email that says, Congratulations, you're the winner. Well of course my first response is sure, right. And 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 it said that you've won the grand prize a forty inch Samsung L C D television. Well, that kind of piqued my interest a little bit, but I've got, again, I've gotten a lot of those things. And I'm reading through this, and it says, respond in three days, and is this working, Mike? Not real well? Okay, I'll go back here. Can I use this handheld, Mike? Can we use that one? One, two, three, four. We good? One, two, we're not getting much. You getting some? Okay. All right, so I, I get this uh, this email, and it says, you know, if you reply to, to this within three days, you'll, you'll be eligible for the prize. Well, you know, I think, I'm thinking, this is no way. There's no way this is true. But they had enough details in the email that it sort of made me stop and think about it because it said you had entered this contest at the Samsung store in New York City between this date. And we had been in New York that day, and we had visited my niece who worked at the Samsung store. And we, and as I remembered it, 
I think I had signed up for some kind of drawing. So I called her and I said, Holly, I got this email from this company and it sounds kind of, you know, I don't know, suspect. And she said, well, who's it from? And I told her and she said, yeah, that's the company we use. And I, I couldn't believe it, but here is the TV sitting in our family room. You know, you, I, mean, I was stunned. There's no way that that would be true because we get these things all the time. And, and yet it was. And, and I think there's something of that in the story that Luke is telling us here in, in this gospel account of Jesus' resurrection. It's, he tells us in verse 11, the NIV says that when the women come back and tell them about what's going on, that the NIV says that they seem like nonsense to them. The, the, Philip's, uh, the Amplified Bible says that it seemed like idle talk. Philip says it's sheer imagination. And Wycliffe in his translation says it seemed like madness. And, and that's, that's what it feels like to them when they hear the women say, Jesus is risen. This is madness. The word that, that Luke uses here, lepos, is, is a word that originally has a technical meaning in the medical field. It's describing what someone is like when they have such a high fever that they're delirious. You know, they, they, they're talking out of their heads. They don't know what they're saying. If you go back later and you ask them about what they said, they don't even remember it. It's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. It also becomes a, comes to mean sarcasm. You know, we understand that. Somebody does something stupid, and our re- response is, way to go, Einstein. And we don't mean they're smart as Einstein, right? We're being, sar- we're being sarcastic about it. And, and this is how the disciples respond. There's no way. And it's the only time this word's used in the New Testament. But we see the idea of the word throughout the scriptures. In Genesis uh, 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and the angels come and they, to warn Lot and his family and, and the, it, the, the destruction is coming. And Lot says to his sons-in-law, you got to get out of the city. It's, it's going to be destroyed. And their response is, they thought he was joking. That same idea that, oh, come on, that's not really true. You jump ahead to Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. He's going to be executed the next day. And God miraculously leads him through the spirit out of the prison. And he finds, he walks down to the house where he knows the, the Christians are meeting. And he knocks on the door and the servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door. And she hears his voice. She recognizes that it's Peter. She's so excited she forgets to open the door. She runs back to the, to the believers who are praying for Peter to be released. And she says to them, Peter's at the door. And what do they say? You're out of your mind even though they're praying at the moment for Peter to be released. And it's that same idea that surely this cannot be true. But it is. And the heart of the, of the, of the resurrection story is, is something that we find hard to believe is true. And I suspect most of us here today would agree we believe Jesus rose from the dead. We wouldn't say, oh, that's nonsense. That's madness. It's just, yeah, it's idle talk. But does that come out in the way we live our lives? Do we really believe that the risen Christ is active in the world and in our lives and is changing things? 
Do we believe that because of the risen Christ, we now have the promise of eternal life? Do we have the promise to live forever with our Savior? That eternal life is, is our hope. It's a, it, it is a phenomenal hope that each of us has. But the hope of the resurrection is not limited to someday. The hope of the resurrection is about now. And I think more often than not, the sense of, of the madness of the resurrection as we see it in our lives and as we hesitate to believe is about more about now and how we live now than about how we will live then. And yet the, the story of the gospel and the power of the resurrection is not limited to someday. It's about now too. N.T. Wright makes the interesting observation that when you read the gospels, you don't find any mention of the resurrection connected to eternal life. When you read the gospel story, the resurrection stories in the gospels. Now you find that in some of the teachings of Jesus before that. You certainly find it in the writings of Paul and Peter and Revelation and the rest of the New Testament. But when you read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, what you hear is not, Jesus is raised, so we're going to live forever. Or Jesus is raised, so we're finally going to be free from this world. What you find in the gospel accounts of the resurrection is Jesus is raised. Now go tell people about it. Jesus is raised and your life is transformed. Jesus is raised and people need to hear that word and you need to live in the power of that resurrection. If we believe that the resurrection is true, then that means we are not just set free from the guilt of sin, but we're set free from the bondage of sin. We're set free to live beyond mediocrity, but to live in the power of Christ who has risen from the dead. And I think sometimes we think of that as madness because we wrestle so much with sin. We'll never be free from it. We'll, we'll never get out of it. We'll, we'll never, we can never be any different, so I guess we'll just settle for how we are. And all the while, the risen Christ is saying, I have so much more for you, so much more than just mediocrity. I want to fill your life in such a way that you actually look like Christ. And when people look at you, they don't see you, they see me in you. We can so surrender ourselves to the risen Christ that what seems like madness to us can become reality. And how we live in this world then gets affected by Christ in us. So we care about things like evangelism and witnessing and justice and beauty. How, how we live in this world is important and it's a natural response to people who have been filled and changed by the risen Christ. It's not just about what we're going to do someday. It's what we're doing, how we're living, how we're thinking now. I think one of the ways in which the madness of the resurrection is difficult for us is, is as we face, as we've been talking the last couple of weeks, face the opposition in this world to Christ and to his people. And we have a tendency to think that the, most, the best strategy for, for responding to the opposition is to fight like the opposition. 
I mean, what they're doing is working. The world seems to be steeped in darkness, and seem, they seem to be making all the progress. And so the only way we're going to change that is to do what they do and to hold on to and grab hold of the strategies of this world of fighting back and of, of getting our way and believing that power is what changes things. But the madness of the resurrection says that when we look at the people who oppose us and who oppose Christ, instead of seeing them as a foe to conquer, we see them as people to love. It's love that's going to change the world. It's love that sets us apart from all the other people of the world who are opposed to Christ. That when we're opposed, instead of fighting back like everyone else does, we love. We speak the truth with kindness and gentleness. We care about people. And we're more concerned about how we live the journey with Christ than just where we're gonna, that we're going to get to some end. It's the day-by-day living, surrendering to Christ that feels like madness sometimes. Because it feels like we're losing. It feels like we're giving up. It feels like surrender and sacrifice. And we are always trying to avoid that. And yet, that's the way of Christ. The resurrection is only possible because Christ surrendered himself and went to the cross. And our witness, our presence in this world is only possible It only makes any difference if we use the same strategy and plan as Christ to surrender, to sacrifice, to give of ourselves and to let Christ live in us and through us. It's such a different way of thinking and living that it feels like madness to us. And yet it's the power of the resurrection. And so we care about justice. We care about people who are in need. And and we we live in this world with a spirit of risking for Christ and of engaging the world with Christ and caring about people in the world because of Christ. It changes what we do here. I I think that's what Paul is saying at the end of of, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that we read a few moments ago. You know, he's talked about the resurrection and and he's talked about eternal life and the promises that are ours. And he gets to that last section and he says, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? It's been overcome. And you get to the last phrase, he says, therefore, live your lives worthy of Christ because what you do in this world is not in vain. It's not worthless. Being people of the resurrection means that we are people who live in this world with purpose, with the spirit of Christ to bring about change, to bring light into a world that is steeped in darkness. But I don't think the, I don't think the disciples' response to, to the report of Jesus' resurrection is just about the resurrection. I don't think they respond with, that seems like nonsense, that's madness, simply because they can't fathom someone rising from the dead. I think it also has to do with the people who are reporting it. I mean, in that culture, people have a low view of women. 
And the women have, you know, they, they, they don't believe. Women are not credible witnesses in that culture. Now, you know, that may offend you. It kind of offends me. But that's the way it was. And what's so amazing is that one of the strangest things about the resurrection story is that women are the first witnesses of what God has done in Christ. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world. It, if it's in my opinion, it's one of the proofs for the reliability of the scriptures. Because if you were going to make up a story like this and you wanted people to to embrace it and you wanted to impress people, the last thing you would do is to choose people who are not credible witnesses to be the witnesses. I mean, it's in, in that culture, it's kind of embarrassing that the first witnesses are women, and yet they are. And they have far more faith than the men do. Someone said to me, I wonder what would have happened if, if the men went to the tomb and the women stayed back. I, don't, I doubt if the women would have said that seems like nonsense. They had a lot more faith than the men did. But it reminds us that, that sometimes... Sometimes the madness of the resurrection is remembering that our God loves to work in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. And often, often God works through people we might consider not credible witnesses. People who don't have credibility to tell us what to do or or how to live or or to have any word from God to us. But when we do that in our we do that all the time just in general life. I mean, you know, if I went to to took my car to the auto mechanic and he said to me, "I don't know what's wrong with it." And I began to make some suggestions, he would say, "This is ridiculous." I mean, he knows me well enough to know I don't know the first thing about a car. You know, he could be working on the on the back brakes and I might say something about the carburetor. You know, he 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 would he would he wouldn't listen to me. You know, and and we do that all the time in our in our culture and the way we operate. And we do it in the kingdom. We do it in the church. You know, we have if we have more theological training, then surely somebody who has very little has nothing to say to us. If we've been Christians a long time, surely someone who's just beginning on their journey with Christ has nothing to say to us. As adults, surely children have nothing to say to us. And yet over and over and over again, that's the way God works. God is continually bringing people into our lives that we would not expect to have a word for us from him. And we are continually confronted with whether or not we're going to believe that word. I think one of the reasons God does that is because it challenges our ability and our willingness to trust him. To be, uh, it challenges our spirit of openness that God can work through means that we don't expect. And he's continually confronting us with the question, are we willing to hear that? Are we willing to see it? Are we open enough to let God work through things that we wouldn't anticipate? Now, does God have patterns in the way he works? Of course. But I've discovered one of his consistent patterns is to work outside of the patterns. You know, God loves to color outside the lines. He loves to push us to places that we think we 
we don't need to go. Because he's continually wanting us to grow in him and develop faith and to become more mature. And one of the significant ways in which we do that is through a spirit of openness and trust. A couple of years ago, we experimented through the year of, of bringing things from the global church into our, some of our worship times some music and, and a variety of things because we wanted to send a subtle message that that we as Americans don't have the market on the church, though we tend to feel that way. I mean, in general, Americans tend to be fairly arrogant toward the rest of the world. We tend to think that that, you know, we have all kinds of things that the world ought to hear from us. We're not near as open about listening to the rest of the world. And we do that in the church too. But I believe that there are, there are people all over the world who have much to teach us. When we pray for the persecuted church, a part of me feels awkward praying for them because I feel like they ought to be praying for us. I mean, they're going through things that... that that say, send messages about who they are and about their faith in ways that you and I don't ever experience. And the depth of those experiences that they are going through, I think, have as much to teach us. As we were going through this a couple of years ago, if you were here, I'm wondering, what was your response? Was there a sense of, hey, we can learn something from folks? And it might be things like, you know, I, I, maybe I can get something. Maybe God wants to speak to me through music that I tend to dismiss as not that good. Or through people who I'm not sure I need to listen to. Or circumstances that are, that are outside of what I think are the ways in which God speaks and works. And I think we tend to view that as madness, nonsense, and we ignore it. And all the while, we are missing out on some spectacular things that God wants to do in us and for us and through us. I think memory is one of the ways in which we can begin to grasp the voice of God and the ways in which God works. Because when we look back and we remember what God has done, we've, we are challenged about the ways, what God is doing in the present. If God was faithful then, we can count on him to be faithful now. If God spoke in those ways then, we can be confident that he's probably still going to speak in these ways now. And you, you notice as the women go to the tomb, and they find that it's empty and they're shocked by that. And, and these two angels appear to them and they say, Jesus has risen. And they're, what? And he says, don't you remember? And the angels begin to tell them, remind them of things Jesus said. And the light goes on. And they do remember. And they believe. And you and I often have short memories. We don't, we don't put into our minds, we don't find ways to remind ourselves of how God has worked and what God has done. That's why immersing ourselves in the scriptures is so important. I think about a story like uh, Naaman 
in 2 Kings. Naaman, a Syrian uh, captain, contracts leprosy, and he tries everything he can, and nothing works. And he has a servant girl from Israel, and she says, I know a guy in Israel who can do something about this. And Naaman goes to Israel, and he, he's standing before Elisha's door, and he says, hey, I hear you can help me. And Elisha says, well, I can't, but God can. Here's what you do. Go down to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times, and you'll be healed. And Naaman's irritated. Hey, why would I do that? I don't want to put myself in that position. I don't, I don't need that. We have rivers in Syria that are a lot cleaner than the Jordan River. Elisha says, well, suit yourself, but if you want to be healed, that's the plan. And Naaman turns and walks home. And he starts his way back, and his, one of his servants, an unexpected voice, says to Naaman, uh, Sir, could it really hurt? I mean, would it be that big of a deal? Isn't it worth a shot? And Naaman says, all right. And he goes down in the river, and he, he dips in the river. The first time comes up, nothing. The second time, nothing. The third time, nothing. The fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, nothing. And you, I'm sure he's getting impatient. And he goes down that seventh time and comes up, and he's clean. And he goes away rejoicing. Because he listened to an unexpected voice and did something unexpected. When we begin to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and we create a Christian memory, we are much more open to hearing God's voice when he speaks to us in ways that we might not expect. And we look back at our own lives and we look at the lives of, of others that we know and people through history and we see God working in them. And every time we, we remember those stories, it helps us to be a little bit more open and to see the things God wants to do, not as madness, not as nonsense, but as hope when we feel hopeless. It's often about listening, seeing, watching for the unexpected. I suspect that there are uh, some of you here today who who love watching uh, college basketball. And I suspect there are some of you here today who don't like watching college basketball. If you've been around me very much, you know I like watching it. And my favorite time of the basketball season is when the tournament is, is the basketball tournament that just finished. The Monday night, the Kentucky Wildcats won the championship, and you know, they had a great season and a great team. But, you know, my favorite part of the tournament is not the championship game. It's not the build-up to the final four teams. My favorite time of the tournament are the first two full days of games. Each day, Thursday and Friday, 16 games each day. 32 games on those two days. In the last few years, John and Andrew and I have gotten together, and, and we start about noon, and, uh, you know, it goes till after midnight. And we've discovered that by the time you get to about 6.30, 7 o'clock, you need to step away a little bit and a little bit of a break because you're starting to get glassy-eyed, and it, every game, which, red, which team with the red uniform is that? You know, these games are going on at the same time, but... You know, it's just, it's fun to watch these game after game after game. 
But what I love the most about those days is that there are always teams you don't expect who win. You know, the, the, this year, two teams seated 15th beat a team seated 2nd. And you have every year, there are teams that no one gives a chance to win, and they do. And, and we watch because there is this anticipation and this hope, and we love watching the underdogs win. And we've gone to a few of these games in the arenas, and when two teams are playing that, you know, they aren't really that connected to that particular area, they come from other different places, when the, if an underdog is close, as the game is winding down, the crowd really gets behind them, and it feels as if it's a home game for them. And they're cheering every play for this underdog team because there's something about the underdog winning that we like. Something about the unexpected. And we worship a God who loves the unexpected. This is the God who caused a virgin to carry a child. And his son to be born in a stable. And to be crucified on a cross. And he rolled away a stone from the front of a tomb. This is the God who says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you become like a child. This is the God who is challenging us continually to his unexpected ways and to, as one person said, his divine madness. As you think about your life and your connection to the resurrection and the work of God in your life, are you living with that sense of openness, listening, watching, believing, When God speaks, when God acts, it's not madness, it's hope. Gracious Father, the resurrection is such an amazing thing. We we really can't even begin to to comprehend what it means that Christ who was dead is alive and all that that means for us. But we do know that through his resurrection, we have life, not just in the world to come, but now as well. Father, we believe that as you have worked in unexpected ways and through unexpected people and circumstances through the centuries, you continue to do that, and we want to be open to it. So help us. Help us to remember. Help us to live with that sense of hope with our eyes open wide and our hearts open wide, and our spirits open wide to your grace and power and word that we might become more and more like Christ. We pray this through the power of Christ.
Amen. One of the great hymns of Easter is Charles Wesley's Christ the Lord is Risen Today. And I want to invite you to stand as we sing this great hymn together. Amen. It's been our practice through the years. We're going to follow the ancient tradition of the church with the benediction. After the benediction, uh, you're invited to, uh, to sit down if you'd like and to, 
to listen to the postlude or feel free to leave uh, as well. I will say the Lord is risen and you respond, he is risen indeed. We begin in a whisper and then a little louder and then we'll take the roof off of the church. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Amen. Amen.